one of my favorite things about being a pastor is the privilege of officiating weddings of Stanwich members and their adult kids. I get to stand right here at the altar and I get a front row view of bride and groom making their covenant vows together, entering into the holy covenant of marriage. There is so much joy on that day. I love it. A much harder part of my job is to do something that I did yet again this past week, which is to sit in my office and talk with somebody alone whose spouse is separating from them. That is painful, heartbreaking work. According to the Bible, our relationship with Jesus is very much like that of a bride to a groom. It's a common theme throughout Scripture. We are called the bride of Christ. He is our betrothed. He is our divine husband, so to speak. It's a theme that's in our Scripture reading today as well. And what our reading today shows us is that there are some subtle ways that our hearts are prone to wander away from Jesus, the one we are bound in covenantal love with. So I want us to look at this scripture together today and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us if any of these subtle ways are happening in us. I'll examine my own heart. I ask you to examine yours. And as a church, we will say, Lord, are there any ways that we as your bride, we as your covenant partner, have wandered, we've strayed, we've separated from you. So let's look at the scripture together today as we begin asking that question of ourselves. Starting with verse 2. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's writing a letter to a congregation that he formed, a congregation in Corinth. He was there, he says, I betrothed you. He's speaking almost like as a, as a pastor. I was there at the altar with you when you first connected with Jesus Christ, when you first gave your hearts and your lives to him. I was there to betroth you to him. And then Paul moved on to another region where he would start planting other churches. But after he had moved on, he had gotten word, he'd gotten reports of the congregation in Corinth. Well, let's read about it beginning in the next verse. Verse 3, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, Paul takes us back all the way to the first couple, Adam and Eve. And he says, even them, even there in the garden, in their perfect, harmonious, sinless union, even that covenant of love separated when Eve believed the lie, the deceit of the serpent. It's a lie that she agreed with in her heart. And it led her away from her groom, her husband, her partner, Adam. Paul says to the congregation in Corinth, just like that happened even to them, I fear that your thoughts will be led astray from a pure devotion to Jesus. This is a pretty startling thing to consider, writing to a church, writing to a congregation. And I really want this to land in us together right now, that we might receive this word as if from the Apostle Paul, as if from the Holy Spirit asking us the question, has there been anything in us, anything in our hearts that have wandered from Jesus? We sang that song earlier, prone to wander. 
Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Have we, as Christ's bride, wandered from that covenantal relationship like a bride and a groom that was formed at the altar? Well, let's read more to find out what some of these things might be that would lead us astray. Verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. What Paul is talking about here is what he called later in the verses a super apostle. Another Christian leader came in to the congregation and started presenting something slightly different than what Paul had presented. And there's these interesting phrases that are used that I want us to examine today. Another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Notice the subtlety of what's going on here. These were leaders within the church. These were Christian leaders who were presenting another Jesus. Another Jesus. In other words, these weren't secularists. These weren't atheists. These weren't Baal worshipers or Artemis worshipers presenting an entirely different God. No, this says another Jesus, another version, another variation of Jesus that was being presented in this congregation. Paul had betrothed them to the one true Christ, but someone else had come in and said, you know, Jesus is a little different than that. And we should ask ourselves, is the Jesus we believe in, is the Jesus we're in relationship with the actual Jesus, the real Jesus, or is he a Jesus of our own making? And here's a really good way to measure that question. Here's what I do in my own heart, my own mind. I say, okay, Nathan, is the Jesus I believe in, does he generally agree with me most of the time? Is he interested in the same causes that I'm interested in? Does he look like me or people who look like me? Does he have the same opinions that I have about the world? Does he vote? Would he vote for the same candidates that I would vote for? And when I ask myself that, when I just kind of generally think that Jesus really likes everything I'm doing, everything I've got going on, I realize that's not the real Jesus probably because when I read the whole New Testament, the whole, uh, all the Gospels, not just cherry-picking verses that agree with my opinions, when I read the whole thing, when I really encounter Jesus as he is in the Gospels, often I encounter a Jesus who confronts my opinions, who is a little bit different than my presuppositions, who challenges some of the things that I walk in uh, thinking about. And when we look at the real Jesus, the actual Jesus of history, the actual Jesus of the Gospels, he stands on his own. And he's a little different than the Jesus of our own imaginations. So that's one way to test that. Are we believing in, are we in relationship with another Jesus? Well, let's read about him more in the Gospels and encounter the real one so that he can challenge the one we've created. The next phrase that Paul uses is a different spirit. A different spirit. If you received a different spirit than the actual Holy Spirit, how would we know? How would we know if there's a spirit in our church, if there's a spirit in our Christian hearts that's a little different than the Holy Spirit? Well, very simply, we can measure the fruit. Measure the fruit. We know the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I just want us to ask ourselves, when we read, even if it's a Christian resource, these were Christian leaders who were speaking in the church, even if it's a Christian book, or a Christian podcast, or a Christian Twitter feed, or an email chain that's going around, or a text thread that's going on our iPhones, ask ourselves, when we've read the book, we've listened to the podcast, when we've read the email, what's the fruit that I feel in my heart right now? Often, I'm noticing, especially over the last year or so, a lot of these resources, even from Christians, when I read the whole book, and I read the last page, and I close the book, I feel afraid of threats to Christianity. I feel angry. I feel division. I feel sometimes smugness, like, oh, yes, I I love this author. He reminds me that I know all the answers, unlike all those idiots out there who don't believe like I do. If that's the fruit of the spirit that we're reading in these books or these podcasts or whatever, then it's a different spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. There are some books that are really written in line with bearing the fruit of the actual Holy Spirit. You know those because when you read the last page and you close it, you feel peace, you feel love, you feel joy, you feel patience towards people who are different than you, not anger or smugness or division. So measure the fruit, the resource, even if it's Christian. If it doesn't bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's what Paul calls a different spirit. And it means our hearts have wandered from our betrothed. Third phrase he uses is a different gospel. Different gospel. The word gospel is very specific. It means the good news about Jesus Christ. In other words, these leaders weren't presenting an entirely different worldview, uh, a worldview that was devoid of any belief in God at all. No, it's a different gospel. It's a different version of the narrative of Jesus Christ. This can be very subtle. How would we know if we've believed or bought into a different gospel. Well, the word that Paul uses here at the end of the reading today, he says, uh, we've made this plain to you in all things. This is a good measurement for us to know if we're believing the real gospel or a variation of the gospel. Is it plain? Is it easy to understand? Is it clear? Because the Bible makes quite clear the story of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 says the truth of the gospel is plainly revealed to us. It's very simple. Jesus Christ died in our place as a penalty of sin, paying the penalty. He rose on the third day, conquering death. He ascended to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father where he reigns as our Lord, and he will come back to take us to the Father one day. It's a simple story. If anything gets more complicated than that, if it requires secret knowledge, if it requires the revelation of prophetic dreams, if it requires a website that you have to know about to know about, if it requires an email forward with insider or anonymous information, then it's probably not the true, pure, clean, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't think of a more simple way of describing the gospel than this. Picture the cross. Just go ahead, bring it into your mind. Picture the cross. Picture what was happening on the cross. Picture Jesus there. This is the plainest way I can think of describing the gospel. When we look 
at Jesus on the cross, we say, there, but by the grace of God, go I. There, but by the grace of God, go I. In other words, Jesus is paying the penalty for my sin. He offers forgiveness instead of punishment. That's plain. That's clear. It doesn't require any more explanation than that. That's the gospel. If the gospel we're believing, if the version of Christianity is more complicated and it requires these formulas or this insider information or things that are about to be revealed, it's probably a different gospel. And it means our hearts have wandered from our betrothed, from our divine husband, Jesus Christ. So, how do we go back to him? If we've been separated at all, if the Holy Spirit has revealed in any of us this morning, maybe these subtle ways that we've wandered, how do we go back? Well, the first thing we need to know about how to go back to Jesus, our betrothed, is how he feels about us. How he feels about us. Did you notice this phrase in verse 2? It says, I have a divine jealousy for you. I feel a divine jealousy for you. I feel a divine jealousy for you. We have to look at this phrase. It's, you know, we often use the word jealousy wrongly, the way we use it linguistically. We often mean envy. When we say jealous, we say, oh, I'm jealous of your nice car. I'm jealous of your vacation home. I'm jealous of your good looks. That's really envy. Envy says, I want what you have. But God isn't envious of us. We don't have anything that God wants. He's not impressed with our really nice car. God's not impressed with our ski lodge. I mean, God spoke the Alps and the Rockies into existence with a word. He's not that impressed with what we have. No, he's not envious of us, but it says here he's divinely jealous. He's jealous. Jealousy doesn't say, I want your stuff. Jealousy says, I want you. It's you that I want. The Bible tells us that God, our God, is a jealous God. Not envious, but he wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants to be in relationship with us. So if we've thought this morning at all that we've wandered, our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Know this. He's not mad at us. He's not going to punish us. The punishment's already been received on the cross. No, he's jealous for us. If we've wandered, he just says, I want you back. And I've been really thinking about this all week. I've been thinking, how do we as a congregation go back to Jesus, our bridegroom, our betrothed, our divine husband, knowing that he's jealous for us, knowing that he wants us back? How do we go back? And I realized something. I realized the simple beauty of communion. Think about communion. When we confess our sins and we're reminded of the sacrifice he made in order to give us forgiveness, we go back in communion to the very same place where the covenant of love, the covenant of marriage is formed, the altar, where we speak those covenantal words of love as a bride and a groom. Jesus says, come back to that same place. Come back to the communion table where you will remember that I am the great covenant keeper. That's what we remember at the table. Jesus lifts up the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He is the covenant keeper and he will pay any price to keep us in the covenant with him. I want to show you this picture. 
it came to my mind as I was thinking about these things. This is from two summers ago. A bride and a groom, Sarah and Brandon. They gave me permission to use this wedding photo of theirs. Notice it's their wedding day and they're taking communion. You see that? The communion elements in our hands. I love it when a bride and a groom choose as their first act of marriage to take communion together. I love it because it's a recognition that human love is imperfect. Human love is fragile. And bride and groom on their own will be unable to keep their wedding vows because hearts are prone to wander. They'll end up separating if left to their own devices. But when they go to communion together at the altar, the same place their covenant was just formed, they go to Jesus, their divine husband, the one to whom they are betrothed, the great covenant keeper, the one who says, I'm jealous for you. I always want you back. I'll always take you back. I'll pay the price even for your sins so that you can stay in this covenant with me. When a bride and a groom do that together, they know the true gospel. They are betrothed to the real Jesus. They are enjoying the benefits, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that picture of a bride and a groom taking communion together, I want that to be real for us as a church. We are prone to wander. But let's run back to our Savior Jesus, our groom, the one to whom we are betrothed, our first love. He longs for us to come home to him. So come on, church, let's run to him and re-enter that covenant that was formed. Amen.